What's up and welcome into another episode of the Lead Block. I am your host, Tyler Walters, alongside Matthew Anderson. We are coming to you from Columbia, South Carolina on a Monday morning. Um, a lot of stuff happened in Columbia this, this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so we'll start right from the top. Uh, biggest news of the weekend in Columbia uh, it is South Carolina at Missouri, and I think it's less of... The game's a lot of news. I think the fans are really, it's, it, we have a really toxic environment in Columbia um, between South Carolina fans right now. Um, but we'll start with the game. So South Carolina goes to Missouri uh, this weekend, Columbia, in, Missouri. In a big-time SEC showdown. Yep, first one of the year. Um, I, I thought along with from what a lot of stuff I've seen on Twitter between South Carolina fans that, uh, this was uh, this was the game for this year. This right. needed to be this this game was going to set the tone for the rest of the season, um, and it was going to set the tone about how happy fans were with Muschamp. Um, and South Carolina goes in and just from the from the start an absolute disaster. Just laid football. a complete egg. Yeah, uh, the offense was terrible. They had what three. Passing yards in the first half, something like uh, single single digits, which is quite embarrassing. Yeah, so true freshman Ryan Holinsky, uh, first true road start, um, first road SEC start. Um, I guess it, I mean it's only road as road yeah, start in only college. One, yeah. So uh, it was the first true road game for for the Gamecocks this year because um, they did go to Charlotte as a neutral site. Uh, did you know about his elbow coming into the game, or when did you figure out about that? Yeah, so I, I kind of heard about his elbow, uh, Ryan Holinsky's elbow injury. Yeah, injury is what you want to call it. But I, I I saw it as a lot of rumors on Twitter, um, kind of Friday. And then um, Coach Will Muschamp and uh, the SID, the media guy for the football team, Steve Fink, came out, uh, and they both said in separate comments. Um, actually didn't see Muschamps. I saw his – I saw a paraphrase of his. Yeah. Uh, but I did see Fink's comments that there were no injuries and he was good to go. Um, so from the football team, it looked to me – it sounded to me like everything was all go uh, coming into this game. Wake up Saturday morning. I'm on Twitter. I'm looking at, you know, all the South Carolina beat writers who were out there and – uh, several guy from the state, guy from the athletic, guy from Gamecock Central. Yeah, all, all I see all these tweets that of Helensky and, and his elbow seems to be fine. There's no brace, there's no tape, or there didn't appear to be anyway. Um, obviously he had his elbow, you know, covered. He was in a suit on the way there, and and he had it covered in warmups. But um, by the time he got to the game, he was wearing a short sleeve, so you could see it. There was no tape on the elbow or anything, but. For me, watching it, he looked weird. He he looked off. He he felt off. Yeah, like I was seeing some of the throws that were seemed to be kind of routine that he made against uh, who they play that game this season. Charleston Southern against Charleston Southern and even against, against Alabama. Yeah, even against Alabama, some of the routine throws I've seen him make many of times were kind of like off behind him, like behind the receivers a little bit. And it was kind of interesting because usually, like I got a couple sources in the program, so they usually like hit, uh, tip me off on things about like Wednesday or Thursday, but they like really kept that thing tight that he didn't even practice on Wednesday. Yeah, they did and absolutely. And so I was looking at the beat, like a lot of like you said, the beat rising there, like his elbow. I'm like, wait, what about the elbow? Like nobody even releases, but I've noticed 
I've really noticed about Muschamp, a lot of coaches will say something like, we're going to check him out, but blah, blah, blah. Muschamp is always like, he'll be fine. He always he is the quickest coach I've ever seen. Oh, he'll be fine. So he wasn't really gonna give us any leeway, regardless. Yeah, and that was a lot of critic. I saw a lot of criticism of Muschamp in the first half of uh, this game on, on Twitter from South Carolina fans talking about how oh if Muschamp Muschamp knew he was hurt and he played him and he's gonna ruin this kid and blah 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 and and why didn't they start to carry on if they knew he was hurt? Um, I I tend to think that. Muschamp thought he was fine because, to tell you the truth, he looked. I mean, it didn't. He didn't have any grimaces of pain, right? Going through his first few drives, and he starts. I mean, South Carolina, their first drive, they get the ball inside their own ten yard line, or you know, and they're they're bagged up deep, and Holinsky throws uh, a curl route to, or Brian Edwards runs a curl route and or an out route. Holinsky throws it to him. He's a little short. But it wasn't a bad throw. He, I, I thought he threw it to where the defender couldn't get it and maybe left it a little short. He threw it on the right side of the receiver. And Brian Edwards had a hand on it, just didn't haul it in. Next throw, he's off. Right. Just missed it. And, and the next several throws, as the first half would go on, uh, would be off. And he only completed a, a, you know, a few passes in the first half. Right. Um, and he just looked, to me, more rattled by what took place on the first drive, which was him throwing a ball that gets batted down on the defensive uh, by defensive lineman for Missouri. Holinsky then catches it and throws it to the ground, um, and, and Missouri uh, defensive player, I believe linebacker, um, number 47, picks it up for them and, and takes it in the end zone. The whistles had blown, but... Uh, the Missouri defender is jumping up and down saying touchdown. You know, he threw the ball backwards, uh, recovered. Just a weird play. This is a weird play. I've seen like yeah. once or twice. I think in the NFL I've seen somebody do it and they like knock the ball down. Yeah, which is what he should have done. I believe that's what he tried to do. Right. And he just kind of caught it. Um, so if he used I, – I believe he was fine. Had he used one hand and not two, I don't think that's a catch and then a fumble. But my only issue with – them ruling as uh, so the play anyway the play goes on there it's a it's originally um, Mark does just they flag him for throwing two forward passes on the same play they review it say it's a backwards pass and uh, Missouri recovered for the touchdown so just a weird open to scoring um, back to what I was saying here my my only issue with with ruling it as a catch and a throw is if that was a receiver is that a catch. Because I think I've seen receivers many times control the ball for as long as Solinsky had and it not be called a catch. I, I mean, I, I agree that he did catch it, but I think the rule, it was a little little inconsistent there. Um, but, yeah, he, the kid made a mistake, and he paid for it, um, and his team paid for it. And I don't think he was in his game until the second half, until the, the first play of the second half. Yeah. And he looked out of it, and um, he didn't look confident. I said at one point he just needed someone to kind of grab him by the face mask on the sideline kind of shake him and wake him up. Right, right. Because he was just out of it, and I think he got down and discouraged because of the mistake he made and, and that he hurt his team. But from then, the defense at that point for South Carolina was playing so well yeah, that it was like, all right, yes, offense gave up six points, but let's go out and put up a few drives. And we're not only are we right back in this thing because we're only down one score now, we're we're up scores. Right, right, um, right. 
And I think Helensky had every chance to say that and, and do that, and that's not really what happened. Um, but like we've kind of alluded to, he was terrible in the first half as far as accuracy goes. Um, but what got overshadowed to me was it, it a lot on, and it's probably just because I see a lot of Gamecock stuff on Twitter. Right. <laughs> but Kelly Bryant was every bit as inaccurate. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. I was watching that game before I was wondering because, you know, Missouri isn't going to be able to uh, to play in the bowl because they have a bowl ban. Yep. But a lot of guys were saying, well, that's great for Kelly because he gets to go and prepare for the NFL draft. But watching that game, Kelly Bryant was definitely much more of a, a, a threat as a runner. Yes. Running through the middle and things of that nature. And I think he ran a little bit more in this game than he had in, in a game's past. Yes, but, yeah, but throwing the ball, I mean, Kelly, overall, he threw – let's check this out right here. He threw for – 19 for 33 for 227 yards, two touchdowns. But, no, it seemed as a lot of a lot of times, like, on post and slants, he was a little bit late on the throw. Yep. And then the receivers, you could tell, were getting a little bit frustrated, and Kelly was frustrated too. But, no, he did not – it was not a good quarterback throwing game for either uh, quarterback. Yeah, and his receivers, um, to, to Kelly Bryant's credit, his receivers did drop a couple of balls. Yes, they did. Um, but I think at that point, there were so many inaccurate throws. They didn't know where it was coming. That, that they had no clue what was going on. And um, Kelly Bryant, Saturday in that first half, did not look like the Kelly Bryant I watched at Clemson. Right. Um, and and the, we've seen now so many times on a big stage. Um, and even through, you know, last the first couple of weeks of this season, even their loss to Wyoming, Kelly Bryant was pretty good. He had a great game. Yeah, I think he threw for either 300 or 400 yards. Yeah, he, he, had a, he killed it. He had a good game. And, and West Virginia, he did the same thing. He comes out and they, uh, Missouri smokes West Virginia uh, in, in Columbia, Missouri at home there. And, and Bryant did not look good to me at all in the first half. And in the second half, he picked his throws up a little bit. Right, right. But I think, like you said um, – it was he was much more effective as a runner than he was as uh, a thrower to the football Saturday, and that kind of came as a headache to the Carolina defense because it's like now I have to account for him as a runner. I had since he's a quarterback, I had to account for him as a thrower, but really it's like now he's, we have an extra running back on the field. Yeah, exactly, and everyone you know who knows who Kelly Bryant is knows he can run, but uh, I think Kelly Bryant when he's accurate has. He has the weapons at Missouri. They have a lot of guys. They have their their big tight end Albert O. And, yeah, and a few other receivers who are pretty speedy. Um, who Kelly Bryant can? We've seen him make accurate throws time and time again. Uh, like I was just saying at Clemson in the first few weeks of the season, and he just that that part of that game was taken. That part of his game was taken away. And I think what really helped is let's not underestimate how good the pressure was from South Carolina's defense in the first half. Because I have not seen that first half. I I have not seen a South Carolina defensive line dominate an offensive line and get pressure with three or four guys like they did. And I think a lot of uh, a lot was lost in the first half about the defense. Um, as I was seeing friend reactions Saturday throughout the game and uh, Sunday as well. Um, there was there were a lot of good pressures and a lot of big time plays made from the guys up front and they were they looked like they were just blowing Missouri offensive linemen off the wall and, and off the off the ball and right. getting pressure in Kelly Bryant's face I mean, not getting a lot of sacks but just getting pressure in his face and I think that helped c- cause some inaccuracy 
Yeah, because you had Kinlaw, who has really been playing fairly well in bigger games than Sterling. I hear a lot of Sterling's name. And then, but I noticed, I think as we started getting to the second half, I remember one time specifically, Kelly was just kind of like sitting in the pocket there. And I was like, okay. But also, Muschamp said something about uh, as far as the defense. He's like, they were on the field, I think, for almost like 52 plays. They were on the field so much. And so, therefore, they got fatigued by the end of the first half. And it's like, y'all, and then usually in locker rooms, this creates some tension or whatever. Because like, y'all need to stay on the field. Like, y'all do something because we can't keep doing this. Exactly, and you're exactly right. And when I say that they played great in the first half, yes, I know towards halftime, uh, Missouri kind of picked it up. But South Carolina at that point had been on the field like, I don't know, what felt like 29 of the 30 minutes of the first half. Their defense was on the field. And the offense could not sustain a drive. And the Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster in the first half combined for like four rushes. Yeah, that was kind of embarrassing, and and for the whole game, they only they combined for fourteen carries for thirty one yards. Yeah, so when the offense is not running the ball to run the clock, and they're throwing the ball over and over, um, and it's not working, it hurts the defense so much because they don't have any time to breathe, and they couldn't get off the field. Um, and, and I think we saw a really tired South Carolina defense at the end of the first half, and I think a little was. Got back at the end of the or the beginning of the third quarter. Yeah, but those guys, I think by that point they were just so worn out. They had played almost as much as they should have played in the whole game, just in the first half. And that definitely takes a toll on the defense overall. And then, like I said, the continuity of the team. Also, one thing I've noticed about USC now, I know Brian Edwards had one catch for seventy-five yards for the game. He had one hundred thirteen yards. So that's let's see, do the math. There's like twenty, thirty, I think eight. 38. So besides that long play, he had five receptions for 38 yards. But it's getting to the point where Shai Smith is starting to look like an average receiver for USC. And I think that's just because we're not getting him the ball enough. Because besides the Alabama game, it's kind of like, y'all, like, we got to get Shai going. Because I had one of the guys who tells me who's at the practices that Shai is like one of the best athletes he's ever seen. He just does, he's just not as tall or, you know, as big as Brian Edwards or whatever. But right now, I mean, years past, Shai Smith's been a big-time player. But we just have to be able to get him the ball. Yeah, I, I completely agree that that South Carolina needs to get Shai Smith the ball. I mean, you look at the catch against Alabama, um, what, 10 days ago now, where Shai goes up between two Alabama defenders and grabs the ball at the goal line for a touchdown, and Walensky threw an absolute dime. Right. But Shai still had to make the play. I mean, right. as a quarterback, you're throwing the double coverage. You can only you could put it where only your receiver can get it, but it all depends on if your receiver can go up and get it, and, and Shai has proven that he can do that. Right. And they didn't get him involved a lot in the first half at all. And as I was watching this game, I said to – uh, our producer Brendan and, and my roommate, uh, that we haven't really heard his name a lot at all, you know, until now. And we heard a lot of Brian Edwards. Yeah. Which was nice to see. See him come along, right? Because South Carolina has not been giving him the ball and not been getting him involved like they should. But at the same time, you you still got Shaw Smith. Is this balance? What what is really confusing to me about what is going on with the play calling is South Carolina comes out the first week. And they're the most conservative offensive play calling I've maybe ever seen. <laughs> and they wanted to run the ball, and it wasn't working. And they weren't open. When they were throwing the ball, it was short. And they weren't opening anything up downfield. And, they, like, they were just running screens. And they weren't getting into Brian Edwards. Uh, second week against Charleston Southern, they played Charleston Southern. Uh, there's just not a whole lot. You can say you had Ryan Olenski, and they did open the playbook up a little and let him kind of throw it around. Uh, but then against Alabama, Ryan Holinsky threw the ball over 50 times. Right. Or near 50 times. And then yesterday, 
they wanted Holinsky to throw the fir- the whole first half and, and throughout the game when it just did not work. And they weren't running the ball at all. South Carolina has Rico Dowdle, who has been a great running back here at USC since he got here, if he can stay away from injury. And then they have the Clemson transfer, Tavian Feaster, who is a running back who started a national championship. Right, right. Last last year, nine months ago, you know, because um, ETN was out with injury. Right, right. So why are, why are you not running these guys a little more? It's like we are struggling so bad to have an identity, and I guess with the whole Halinski situation, it's like then they're they're trying to gauge how much they want to throw it, and then they throw, tell them to throw it a lot, but it's incompletion, and so it's just, it's a complete mess. I, I don't I don't think you could have been more on the uh, on the head of the nail there when you said that South Carolina is struggling for an identity. It, it seems to me that they absolutely are. Um, they came out the first game looked like they wanted to be a running team. And then they immediately changed and wanted to be a passing team. And they cannot get a balance at all. And it's very confusing. They have very good playmakers who can run the ball and catch the ball. And Holinsky, who can throw the ball. And they're not creating a good mixture of those at all from what it seems like. Um, so South Carolina ends up losing this game. They give their offense. And then Holinsky, here we go, when the drive that Holinsky marched South Carolina down the field in the second half. And in the third quarter. And it looks like they're about to pull this thing within three points. Yep. Holinsky looks great all draft. Um, and then he throws a pick six in the end zone. <laughs> that kills you. And that, Missouri takes it 100 yards for a touchdown. 100. There's nothing worse than a pick six that goes 100 yards. Like, there's one thing for it to go like 20, but 100 yards, you see the dude trotting out there to get to the, the zoo, I guess. In this case, get them all involved into the game. Maybe they're napping before all going to the concession stands. And that really just kind of takes the life out of the visiting program, especially when this is the only success you have because you're kind of putting everything on it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it killed it, and it, I think it killed whatever – Holinsky had in the tank and whatever confidence he had built up. And I kept saying watching this game uh, in the first half that they need to get short throws in, let him build some confidence because he looks really shaken. Second half, they come out, first play, they show, throw a screen to Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards takes 75 yards for a touchdown. And that just kind of shows you right there like what Brian can do. You know what yes. I'm saying? And so it's like, okay, let's keep doing it. Let's just build that confidence because I never really realized until I did some that, – that's not the story. But anyway – the quarterback's all about getting the rhythm, and if you're not in a rhythm and you keep seeing, like, okay, I'm keep messing this up, and the thing about playing quarterback is if you're messing up, nobody, nobody else is right. Because did you notice that one time in the game, I think this is probably all mental, whenever Holinsky, like, faked it and the running back wasn't even going in that direction? Yes, yes, Holinsky, he runs play action. Yeah. Holinsky goes to the left, pulls the ball to the left, and I can't remember who the back was in on that play. I, I want to say it was Feaster. Yeah. Feaster goes to the right of Holinsky. And I, I'm i going to assume that that is on Holinsky and not Feaster. Yeah. Um, but both are new guys. Yeah. So, um, but there was a communication issue with either him telling his running back what the play was and which way he was going, or Holinsky just goofed up and went the wrong way. And you can't goof up and go the wrong way when you're on the road in the SEC, even though Missouri is not – Quite, especially not Saturday, is not quite as hostile as an environment as some of the other SEC schools. Right, right. At Saturday, they didn't have a lot of people there, which is a different story. Terrible look for Missouri fans. I know it rained like crazy before this game. 
but get some people in the stands. They they look like they had five thousand people there, and maybe that's just a disrespect for the opponent that they were playing. Um, <laughs> oh, because, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I I would think as a Missouri <laughs> fan, you know, here you go, you you look like you're probably going to win this game. As a Missouri fan, I would have felt so confident going into this game. Hey, you're at home, you're ten point favorites, um, and I think that reflected kind of what the feeling was going in that South Carolina could easily win this game, but it was gonna they were gonna have to make plays. Yeah, and it's raining. I'd stay home too. <laughs> but I think for the Missouri football program, you got to do something to get some people out there. I don't know. It just didn't look good. But um, so this road game for Alinsky is now not nearly as hostile as it could have been, but he just could not get his head back on his shoulder Saturday. And I don't know what was going on. Um, and maybe his elbow was just hurting him and he didn't he didn't trust it or we don't know. But then later in the game, he does get knocked out and on Joyner comes in. How would you feel about Decarion? Uh to carry on is, I mean, at that point it didn't matter. The game was <laughs> over. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't think they stood a chance to come back. But uh, seeing to carry on come out first play and throw the ball was, I felt weird about it. Okay. Because up until that point, every time they've had to carry on in at quarterback, he it's just a guaranteed run. Right, right, most definitely. And I don't get that uh, line of thought as a play caller. Let's put this guy in who is a quarterback, and we have listed as a quarterback, and who we recruited as a quarterback, but he's only going to run the ball. Right. So now, and everything we have on tape of him in game is him only running the ball. So now you just tell the defense, all right, well, they're running. So, yeah, the DBs are still going to get their man, but they they can switch, and a middle linebacker can call a blitz from the play, say, hey, you pick up the receivers just in case, and, and we'll rush this thing because we know they're running the ball. Um, and I just didn't like that. So it was good to see to carry on throw the ball. He he didn't look the best, maybe. Yeah, he looked like he had some struggles there. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't. South Carolina has got to find a way though to get to carry on Joiner the ball more into space, and handing him the ball and having him run wildcat and run just straight. I, I don't think you can even call it wildcat when this kid is a quarterback and you put him at quarterback. Um. And they're just running the ball every single time with him. You've got to find a way to get him him the ball in space because he is a very supreme athlete. And there is no doubt about when you watch him, he wants first downs. He wants those yards. He's going to fight for it, and he can make you miss. Definitely. What is the expression? He can make you, uh, he can make you miss in a phone booth or something? What is yeah. the expression? Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's the expression. He's, he's very shifty. Uh, so they've got to find a way to, to get him the ball. Um but let's move on more from the game now and kind of the reaction on social media. I don't know how much of this you saw, Matthew, uh, but I was very plugged into it yesterday afternoon. Um, it's South Carolina's fans should be ashamed of themselves from what I think. It's disgraceful the way that they acted on Twitter and attacking the program and um, a lot of attacking certain players Yeah, and just this egotistical – narcissistic just blockhead argument of <laughs> oh let's go get this coach fire must champ hashtag hashtag fire must champ and i am all for not accepting mediocrity i saw that out a few times like we can't allow this team to be mediocre and be okay with it i'm all for any fan base fighting mediocrity but when your coach has a 22 million dollar buyout and you are not a school in the state of Texas, and you, you are not Alabama, 
and you are not LSU, and you maybe Florida, maybe some of the schools Depending in Florida can buy that day. out. Yeah, that coach is staying. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. No Whether time you so. want him to or not. And I saw one tweet um, <laughs> that said, "I don't know." That said, whatever the twenty million dollars is, is is worth it. Just pay him. Where do you think that money is coming from, South Carolina fans? Shout out to the donors. Where where are you where do you think you're getting that money? It's it's from other fans who are donors. And yes, there are a few big time donors at this school. But when Steve Spurrier got here in two thousand five, there was one one million dollar donor this school had ever had. That's insane. And in the nineties at Florida, he had just just so many of them. Just handfuls of million plus dollar donors at, at schools like Florida. And it has gotten better at South Carolina. Uh, they, they have more donors now. But it's not like you can't expect these people to just want to pay millions of dollars just to get rid of a coach uh, when it's only a few of them. Now, in Texas, there there's there are some people who have just enough money and they just need a new football coach and they can blow it. Yeah. But they also have hundreds of donors who are do- donating hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> and that's not too much of a big ask to call your oil buddies and say, hey, let's all put in ten grand and get rid of Kevin Sumlin. Right, right, most definitely. You're getting rid of a guy in Columbia, South Carolina, and the, the just the dumb things that I saw on Twitter yesterday is fans believing that you're going to get Urban Meyer. Oh, I, I didn't even see those. That's yeah, what this, that, I knew. Oh, wow. Like, this is laughable. Urban Meyer is not coming to Columbia. <laughs> Urban and, Meyer is not going anywhere on the East Coast. If he takes his position, I'm almost guaranteed he'll be at Southern Cal. I don't think he can convince his wife to uh, let him come back to coach and come coach at the University of South Carolina. Yeah, and we talked about it on Urban on Friday a little. Um, and I, I think he is either going to Southern Cal when he comes back that's a win, not an if. He's coming back. <laughs> or Notre Dame. Um, and I th- I think he did start. I think he was a graduate assistant yes. or wide receivers coach at Notre, at Dame. Notre Dame. He's been there before. I think he takes think- Southern Cal for obvious reasons. He's in L.A. They have just infinite. It's, it's Ohio State's in L.A. Um, huge fan base, lots of money. Kind of do what you want, but it's 75 degrees and sunny every day. And the resources to be able to do exactly what you want. Because yep. he has high – him, Jimbo Fisher, two of the coaches that have very high demands over what their donors. Like, yo, we need this so that we can be one of the best school, uh, teams or schools in the country. Yeah, he – Urban Meyer is not coming to Columbia. That is maybe the stupidest thing I've ever seen from a South Carolina fan. <laughs> and, and the constant badgering for Mike Leach on Twitter. Every fan base is in love with Mike Leach right now. And – I love Mike Leach as a coach, or as, as a person, and as a coach. I love his offensive scheme. I, I love watching. My, watching Mike Leach football teams are fun because they are going to throw the ball a billion times. And we'll get to it a little later, but his quarterback threw for nine touchdown passes last night. I mean, that's pretty fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and I stayed up way too late to watch that game. But who is to say that Mike Leach is guaranteed going to leave Washington where he's building something? In a conference where he has a chance to be the team, yeah, um, and and come to South Carolina where you're gonna have to play Georgia every year, um, you're gonna have to play Texas A&M every year, you're gonna have to play Florida every year, a team that's in the top ten now. I still don't believe to be a top ten team, but <laughs> it's constantly on the rise, and you're gonna have to compete with one of the teams from from the West every year. And if it's not Arkansas, which uh, it's either Mississippi State, who's a decent team right now, and who I believe will be going forward. Ole Miss, who's not a good team right now. Um, 
but LSU, Alabama, or Auburn. And you were going to have to play those four or five schools that I just listed, those four or five scenarios every single year. As a coach, I can't understand why he would leave Pullman, Washington to come to Columbia, South Carolina, and with maybe a little – you're playing SEC ball. That's that's kind of it. Yeah, that's about the only pull. And then with – you know, with, with, um, what is it, too much? Giving much is required. And then when you – okay, like in the Pac-12, they love their football too. But, you know, it's, sometimes it may, not, may or may not be like the biggest deal. You come down south, like we start losing too many games, you might get some death threats. So Yeah, much has definitely gotten it. <laughs> so. He's got – and he's like, okay. And uh, I was looking at the Pac-12 North, the division that he is currently in. Really, if he takes care of business against Washington, because Washington has been pretty good as of lately, and uh, Stanford, he pretty much has himself a Pac-12 North championship as opposed to the Georges of the world and the uh, Tennessees. Well, not really Tennessee, but Florida. You know, in the SEC yeah. East. Yeah. Um, and I, I just don't see a scenario where he leaves. So here is best-case scenario for South Carolina fans out who want to fire Will Muschamp is you fire Will Muschamp. What now? Who are you going to go get? And then you kind of restart this whole process. Because think about when Muschamp, Urban Meyer is the only coach I ever heard say this, when he's like, well, whenever I take on a team, that's my team. Most coaches say, okay, give me three to four years. Let me get my guys in the system. So you just finished this with Will Muschamp, and it's like, all right, let's start this thing all over again. This is this is what I believe to be Muschamp's first team. Right. He's got a quarterback in. I mean, I know Bentley was his quarterback. Bentley came in first yeah. for his first year or whatever. You have got a quarterback in who have you have you have had time to recruit, and you have all your guys on defense and all your guys on offense. There's no one left over. This is your first real team where you had to prove it, and it's not going well. But like you just said, next year they fire everybody. Nobody wants. I mean, not that they wouldn't take guys from the current team uh, that is now, but they don't want to be responsible for yeah. Will Muschamp's players not playing well. Especially when they came in, they weren't playing well. Like, exactly. so that's like a that's like a whole different ball game. I really do love the fact that somebody's shooting for the stars and saying Urban Meyer. Though, that really makes me happy. Yeah, that is uh, just ridiculous. I cannot <laughs> I cannot believe it. Um, <laughs> Seen a lot on Twitter. So yes, I understand the South Carolina frustration with the football program and, and Will Muschamp especially. Um, it does look like a repeat of what happened at Florida. One good year, but when they went nine and five two years ago, and just kind of downhill from there and very mediocre. Um, and it's frustrating as as um, to watch for fans, and I know that it, it is just makes you want to rip your hair out. But I just don't see how you're going to get any better of a scenario than what you have now. And I see a lot of people calling for Ray Tanner's job as well. Uh, yeah, I saw here. that too. They were saying that uh, they say what is it? The people are starting to question what he's done. Yeah, which is strong um, because Ray Tanner in. Columbia and in South Carolina has been just an untouchable for yeah. forever until now. Um, I can't completely disagree with them. And uh, Ray Tanner has not done anything to improve the football team since he's been here. Now, yes, the facility has gotten much nicer and he got Will Muschamp. But from a fan perspective, he didn't protect you on Muschamp's con- contract. Um, and, and that's basically what it comes down to. And the football team's not winning. And if the coach can't go and uh, the assistant coaches don't go, they're looking at the AD because they can find a way to get rid of him. Oh, yeah. So 
we'll see how it is because it looks like South Carolina stuck with Muschamp for for a while, and I don't know exactly how Tanner's contract works, but I can guarantee you his buyout is not twenty two million dollars. You can you can go find a new athletic director pretty quickly. Um, so we'll see how that goes for South Carolina's fans. The biggest we'll move on from that stuff to today's even bigger South Carolina controversy. Oh yeah. Uh, the state newspaper printed a headline this morning, which is I, the premier uh, newspaper in yeah, Columbia, South Carolina. The the newspaper in South Carolina. Uh, they printed a headline this morning on their Sunday paper um, that was just inexcusable. Um, to say the least, and a lot of people are very upset about it, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, the state has issued uh, an apology for it. And the headline read, Helensky's Hope Sinks. And just to give some background, Helensky Hope Foundation is a nonprofit organization that Ryan Helensky and his family have put together after the passing of his older brother. Yes, and their foundation uh, celebrates Tyler Helensky, Ryan, Ryan Helensky's older brother, and... Uh, his, they try to fight mental health issues and yeah. stigmas and they're pushing for mental health, uh, kind of building and, and promotion and stuff like that. And, and awareness and things of that nature. Yes. And, and they're, they're working with people with mental health issues. And this is something that's been going on for, since Tyler's passing almost two years ago, almost immediately, um, they started this foundation and and they've been going pretty strong and building a lot of steam in here in Columbia community, especially as of recently because they've had the ESPN and the different articles and the different like uh video I don't say video like packages I guess you could say if you're a journalist exactly so to say Helensky's hope sinks that is so on bad the, on the state newspaper this morning there is no way any South Carolina reporter in Columbia would have written this at this headline. Every single person who ever turns on the TV for the news segment of for the sports segment of the news or who looks at the paper and just cross glosses over the sports section or goes to Gamecock Twitter and just sees something about the core. If you have heard of Ryan Holinsky, you know exactly what this foundation is because he and his family make it very he he's connected with that brand. He wants to be. And there's I just don't know how any one person can know anything about Holinsky or the South Carolina f- football program and not have heard of Holinsky's hope. Um, and, and the th- here's where the problem came in for me is fans immediately start attacking the state, rightfully so. The state issues an apologize an apologization uh, this morning that says uh, they tweeted this out: "Our sincerest apologies to the Holinsky family." F- today for the unfortunate headline in our print edition. Holinsky's Hope works to raise awareness about mental health issues, especially for student-athletes. And they go on to say, although the connection between the headline and the foundation was unintentional, there is no excuse for such poor wording, and we have reached out to the family and university to express our regrets. Um, so then I saw a lot of South Carolina fans start going at state reporters, like Ben Bronner is the guy for football right now. Um, and Bronner, it was not on his story, that the headline was written on, but reporters do not write headlines. And I think people don't realize that. But these guys who are out reporting and writing about your team every single day, they do not write any of the headlines that go in the paper on the web or in print. Um, Some of them may be for the web, but it has to get approved. And the reason is because you only have so much physical space 
on a newspaper. So you have to fit whatever headline, how many ever characters that is, on the layout of the paper, however it has been designed for the next day. And the editor, the copy editor, knows exactly how, how much space that is, what size font it's going to go in, and how many characters they can use, including spaces, to fill up that headline. So whatever uh, copy editor read the story and published the headline for it, read the first two sentences as, uh, read the first two, parag- two or three paragraphs as the hope for Ryan Holinsky, as in him being a great quarterback, and the season, and the hope that South Carolina fans had that this would get better has kind of gone away, seemed to be the theme of the story. And the copy editor made that mistake. And I can see the connection there that he made in his brain. But how do you not know as a copy editor, A, just check with your, if you were unsure, which I'm sure may have not, must have not have been unsure at all if you put it out there uh, in a journalistic, on a journalistic paper. Uh, how How is this not checked by anyone yeah. before it goes out? Is, is my thing. You had one person check this, and I'm sure it happens all the time where just one person throws it out and they've never had a problem, and they just keep going. But I don't know how this didn't circulate back to any of the reporters before this paper went out. And when someone picks up the first newspaper, someone who works for the state goes to deliver it and sees on the top of the sports section, Helensky's <laughs> hope sinks. How do you say? How do you not say stop? All of these have got to be tossed, and we will just do something different, and we will just take the L on not selling a lot of newspapers before eight o'clock this morning. Because after that, after that thing hits the, I guess the newspapers and whatnot, and the PR gets hold of that is horrible. That, and then the newspaper industry is already kind of declining. And so they're probably like at this point from five or ten years ago, they're probably like getting like half the profit of what they were. And you, this is really going to make it worse because now people are going to see that. Be like, you know, they don't even support the guy who's trying to, you know, fight mental health, which is the big thing nowadays. So good luck, the state. Yeah, the state lost a lot of a lot of uh, accredit- accreditation. I want to say, or lost a lot of respect um, from South Carolina fans today, and a lot of people around the state. But I want to make this clear as well: that that headline was not written in Columbia. It was written in Charlotte, where the, the state is not just the state newspaper. They are owned by a larger organization of newspapers, which I believe the state is aligned with. USA Today is the biggest paper they're aligned with. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure uh, that is the one that they are also, the company that owns them also runs USA Today. But they also own a paper in North Carolina. And instead of having a, having a copy editing desk and paying people in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina, and in wherever, North Carolina. They have one desk in Charlotte, and this person may not know anything about what's going on here, which I think points to a bigger issue of, from the state's perspective, you have people editing your sports stuff, and they don't know anything about the teams that are being covered on the paper. I think that's the issue that people should be pressing instead of going at the reporter and going at the state for the headline itself. Right. The headline itself is a should be a fireable offense. Whoever wrote this should be let go of their job. Right. Not that they should never be able to get another job anywhere else, but they should be fired from from this market to say that you should be gone. Um but I don't it is just it's a very weird situation and I don't think a lot of people really realize all the facts, but the facts that the state is giving you that people seem to be discrediting on Twitter just immediately. How about pay attention? 
Yeah. Because they know more about newspapers than the average person. And there's a lot of things you don't realize that happens, how stories made, um, that that happens. So with that, we're going to move on from South Carolina and they're just we, – we really went pretty far on that one. It's a uh, there's issues. just a lot to talk about. By the way, I don't, I don't even know if I mentioned the final score. 14-34 Missouri. Missouri kind of pulled away in the second half, and that that was all she wrote for South Carolina. They did score 14 points, um, and they are home against Kentucky next weekend, and we will talk about that on our Friday show. So let's move on to the biggest game of the week, Notre Dame and Georgia. Um, I said on Friday that Georgia would win by just a billion points, um, and, and I was rooting for them too. But unfortunately, they did not. They only won by six. I never had a doubt. I knew they were going to win the whole time. Yeah. Um, I I was very surprised with how physical Notre Dame played. And I was very impressed with their quarterback, Ian Book, who who went 29 for 47 with 275 yards, two touchdowns, and he did throw two picks. Yeah. One of them more towards the end of the game. He kind of put a dagger in it. Um, but Jake Fromm, 20 for 26. Jake Fromm, I think a lot of people, like we hear about the uh, Georgia run game and don't really give Jake Fromm his credit. And a lot of people are like uh, the more popular Justin Fields when he left Ohio State. Like, yeah, but Jake Fromm is a guy. Yeah, he's so accurate. This yeah. is such a Jake Fromm stat line. He is so accurate. I feel like every big game or every Georgia game that I turn on, he goes, you know, 25 for 30, 30 for 33. Yeah. You know, he's he's very accurate. His accuracy is somewhere around 80%, yeah. I feel like, in the games that I watch. Um Super confident. Not a lot of not a lot of yards. Not always a, a lot, and not a lot of touchdowns because, like you said, their run game is just unbelievable. The backs that they have, uh, like DeAndre Swift, um, their feature back is it, just second to none in in, in the nation. I think they're just their O linemen and the way Georgia plays football, they just run the ball and it works for them. But Fromm's accuracy is, I, I think, like you said, his just quarterback plays understated a lot of times. Yeah. Just because of that run game, he's good. He, he's official. And did you see uh, Swift hop over that guy in the middle of the field like that? Yeah. So DeAndre Swift had a uh, George running back had a hurdle the other night. That was nasty. That was that was like a video game. Like yeah, I think that's triangle. I think triangle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He just hit that triangle. And it's like whoa. Like in in it, the fact he did. I'm pretty sure I was like in the middle of the field, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And oh, like God. the middle, it wasn't like. You know, we see him a lot of times where he's kind of a one-off guy in, a, in an open space. This was just, and there was like a crowd of people. There was like three defenders in the yard with <laughs> Which, once again, makes me think it's insane. Like, okay, you go to Target. Uh, you know, in front of the store, they have those like, those red balls? Yeah. Like, most people would think, let me walk around it. Let me, like, <laughs> slide on top of it. DeAndre Swift sees that ball. He says, I'm hopping over it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, just a great athlete. It was It was so cool to watch. This game was a really good game. It was. Um, so credit to Notre Dame for trying to keep up. But once again, I'm, I'm going to squat on this take. <laughs> you cannot compete in big games, and you'll never win one. Um, so every time people think Notre Dame gets close, they just fail to do it again. And Brian Kelly just still can't win a big game. Uh, so Notre Dame is still going to be, I think, in the playoff hunt. Hopefully, yep. for my sake and for college football's sake, they mess up somewhere else and slip up and lose and another team gets in instead of them. I don't want to see them ruin the football playoff again um, or any championship scenario again because they'll just get they'll get smoked because the time Georgia gets to January, they're going to be so much better than Notre Dame in January. If they play this game again tomorrow, I think Georgia wins by 30 more points. There's just no way. I'm 
That is just my mindset <laughs> on this, and it. I'm never going to change it. Um, the one, the other thing I really want to talk about was how. So you watched? Did you watch the whole game? No, I watched some of it. Watch some of it. Did you pay attention how the lights and all were set up at Sanford Stadium? I don't know if you saw it on Twitter at all, but uh, Sanford had in Athens they had like a light show during the game. And there's red going on, and as Notre Dame's walking in, the whole stadium goes dark. That was, that was let me, awesome. That let me tell you something. For recruiting purposes, that is amazing. I don't care what type of offense Georgia's running. The fact that a recruit, especially one that's in there that has an offer, he's like looking at the a visiting team walking. Like I think the visiting team was walking in too, yes. and it's like the stadium is black. You can, I think somebody on Twitter said it's like a club. Like you cannot draw that thing up any better than the way that was. I love the way it looked. I was like that, and it made me think like, yo, that's the best environment. I mean, obviously, you know. The no, I agree with you. That that environment, they had ninety thousand, ninety three thousand yes. people, I think, in there to watch the game. Most people to ever gather and watch gather and watch a football game in the state of Georgia, yeah. um, forever. That was one of the most electric environments I have seen in college football in a long time. And so, let's say you have like, a, let's say you're a seventeen or eighteen year old kid, you have the opportunity to be here. Like, why Why would you turn that down? Because, see, one thing about it is most people being like, uh, you hear a lot of older people be like, okay, it's recruiting. Make sure you go to the places back at academics, this, that, that. High school kids just care about the nice stuff. Yeah, no, you're right. All I want to see is nice uniforms. Hopefully I have a relationship with the coach. And then definitely, like, the environment. That place was insane, and they just went over some recruits. And that. And then the fact they did that against a you know, top uh, top row. Top opponent, depending on who you say, and against it, the primetime CBS showdown. So that was absolutely amazing. Also, the environment actually caused Notre Dame to have six uh, false start penalties. Yeah, it, I mean it rattled them for sure. It, so it's not only that it's like this this loud. This is the light show, which is amazing. But it's the fact that it actually rattles the game. Like if you're a defensive player, like like you can see yourself out there. And if, if they do a really good job with their social media, they'll be sending out like I'm sure they took many pictures uh, on Saturday night. They'll send out the pictures of recruits. Be like, yo, this could be you pumping up the crowd. You know, as, as a defensive back, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, and and you're right. And back to what you were just saying, like. Uh, this this kind of stuff, this environment, this is you only see this in a few places around the country. Yeah, you see it in the SEC, pretty much across the board, um, except for maybe Vanderbilt, and the schools in Mississippi only hold about sixty thousand. But when yeah. those, when they have competitive teams, they're I mean they're loud and proud, um, and you see it at Penn State where they hold a hundred thousand plus. At yeah, that whiteout is one hundred and ten thousand. That that's crazy. Yeah. Ohio State's pretty good too. What about and, the big house and and the big house? That's what was my next one. In uh, Ann Arbor and Michigan's fans, they have a hundred thousand plus people, and you really don't see it. And 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 then the state of Texas, yeah, and in Oklahoma, you really don't see it too much out of those those kind of schools. And it's it's crazy, and it was awesome just to see nearly a hundred thousand people going nuts, and then it was just dark. It looked like a basketball. What I, I felt like I was watching the pregame to a basketball game, and you know how in every. Uh, basketball arena around the country now they cut the lights out before the game and they show the the player's face on the lineup as they call him out for the starting lineup they show his face in lights on the floor yeah 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 that kind of stuff i felt like that's kind of what i was i felt like i was watching an ncaa tournament game it was it was just awesome it was it was a great environment to watch um and i've never been to athens and last night made me wish i just dropped the money and just, just go for yeah, the experience that was that was awesome um also another thing that the guys on CBS kind of pointed out during the broadcast that two years ago when Georgia went up to Notre Dame to play, I think it was the first time they like ever played football above Probably the so. Mason Dixon line. It was some it was some crazy stat uh, from what I remember. 
they showed picture crowd shots, and I remember it happening. Their Notre Dame Stadium was half red with with Georgia fans and you know I guess family yeah. as well. Just half they took over South Bend, the Notre Dame section and that stadium last night, a few thousand people. That's it. it wow. Was, I mean, and, and like Brad Nessler said, you know, fans just don't sell tickets down here. I thought that was just a perfect stab at, yeah, at, every, yeah. at every other, you know, fan base who kind of cares, and they root for their team. It, it is – it's not the same. No, it's, it's not. It's crazy, and, and Georgia fans were awesome last night. So credit to them, big win. Uh, Kirby Smart going crazy in the locker room after the win with his players was awesome to watch too. Uh, I saw one of their one of their defensive guys throw up a video on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Of Kirby just kind of going nuts. That was awesome. Uh, it, actually, I think Georgia's main account, uh, UGA Athletics or UGA Football, tweeted it out as well. So that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, as in, as, they, as they say in the SEC, it just means more. Yeah, I mean it does. It just means more. You know, those commercials are kind of dumb, but they're kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll move on. We'll. Quickly gloss over Tennessee. They just got smoked. I was <laughs> I was hoping for more from Tennessee in, in Florida or at Florida. And they just disappointed. Yeah, they were just disappointing. Um, <laughs> so let's this South Carolina fans, this is this might be your best shot at the win for the rest of the season. You got Tennessee and Vandy and you, you better beat Tennessee if you're Will Muschamp, I think. So <laughs> this is your wake up call. These are the teams that you're on the level with right now. Um, Tennessee schedule. They are off next week. Yep. Then they play Georgia in Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. Yep. And I can imagine there will be more Georgia fans than Tennessee fans there because all the Tennessee fans are hiding out right now. They no, will be taking that no drive. No shame in that. I, w- I would be too if I was a Tennessee fan. Um, they're they're going to get crushed in that one. Then they have Mississippi State at home, which had they were they comp- if they were competitive yesterday against Florida, I would believe that they could be competitive and maybe steal a win at Mississippi State at home. Yeah. Um, but I don't. that one's not looking good for them. And then they have... Bama. They take the, They get on the road, and they drive down to Tuscaloosa. They have to play Bama every year, right? Yep. Third Saturday in October, uh, as the rivalry is so gracefully called. Pretty cool name, actually. It hasn't been competitive, uh, like, in so long, though. It's no, it hasn't. Crazy. I mean, for, you know, either way, because they were... Ten, Alabama's kind of reign didn't overlap with Tennessee's. Tennessee was great, and Alabama was kind of not very great mediocre in the early 2000s yeah when phil fulmer was still at tennessee so it really hasn't been competitive in a, in a while um there's been a few games here and there uh one comes to mind where where mount i cannot i can never remember his actual name but alabama used to have a defensive lineman and he was known as mount cody he blocked a kick against at oh. home in Tuscaloosa against tennessee that's really the only competitive game i can remember for a long time but terrence cody like, Yes, yeah, that's that's right. That's his name, Terrence Cody. Um, so the only I mar- I wrote down that the only uh, the only win that I see on Tennessee's schedule that is more than fifty percent possible or even fifty percent possible is Alabama Birmingham, and that's it. They yep. play them at home later in the season. That Tennessee fans, that might be your only win if you get that win. It's not a given. Let's not act like it's a given. You lost to Georgia State um, at home. So, so you're going to buy tickets, buy tickets to that game. Yeah, another disappointing performance in the SEC this week. Arkansas losing at home to San Jose State. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. You didn't <sighs> see that? Terrible. I, oh, yeah. my God. No. I don't think we talked about this game Friday at all, just because I didn't think it would be worth talking about. Chad, Look, people come from Chad Morris' head, too. I, 
I tend to trust Chad Morris. Oh God, Chad, you make it so freaking hard, man. You oh my God, so you lose you beat Portland State by seven. Rough, not good. They should have beat them by <sighs> seventy. You allow Colorado State to score thirty four, and then you lose to San Jose State. Just okay. Let's put this thing in perspective. These are SEC athletes that are playing for Arkansas. Their probably first offer, maybe as a sophomore in high school, those guys when they were in high school, probably yeah. was at San Jose State. And they're like, yeah, but the, their head coach probably came and told them, you know, you're going to get more offers, just kind of waited out there. You know, some kids kind of hotheads, they want to go ahead and commit on the spot. It's like, bro, you're going to get Alabama in a couple of years. So the fact that these San Jose athletes, and no, no offense to San Jose State, but the fact that those athletes went on to beat Arkansas, uh, Chad, Chad, and look, people in Arkansas aren't happy. They want to get back to the Darren McFadden days, you know what I'm saying? They do. Ryan I mean, Mallett. I watched them play in Columbia when they had McFadden. Yeah. And uh, I cannot remember the other running backs. They had a, quite the tandem uh, of running backs back in the day. They were top five team in the country. They were insane. They were crazy. And they, watching those teams. Exactly. So they want to get back to those days in a hurry. And, uh, they, you know, a lot of them, like, I love the hire, but a lot of Arkansas fans did not like the hire of Chad Morris. He was like, yo, just trust me. I think, though, although he has done some good things at Arkansas as far as, like, facilities and things of that nature, right now they're getting good recruiting classes. But also one thing they're looking across, I don't know, Texas, not across the border. But anyway, they're looking at A&M. I think Jimbo Fisher was hired around that same time as um, – Chad Morris. Chad, so they're like, okay, they're doing that. They're in the top Chad's 25. Got one more year under his belt. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It, here, If you're Arkansas, you're just going to have to bear with it because they weren't good before Chad Morris got there. Nope. You haven't been good since before Bobby Petrino wrecked, and we all remember how much of a disaster that was with his off-the-field incidents. <laughs> um, and, and Louisville has gotten – had good riddance to him too yeah so yeah great football coach not a not the best human being um <laughs> from what it looks like and uh arkansas you're just gonna have to hang in there and trust him because it, it's not looking good and you're not gonna get anybody to come out to arkansas and coach right now i don't i don't believe it's no. just that that program is at an all-time low so jerry jones is gonna have to dump a billion dollars into there and find him a coach um they're looking rough so we'll move on to Auburn A&M. Did you watch Auburn A&M? Did you catch any of that one? Uh, No, but I saw at the beginning Auburn, not the beginning, but Auburn was up pretty big, right? Uh, yeah, Auburn was up pretty big at halftime. Um, yeah. A&M did come back and kind of make it a game at the end. Yep. But Auburn had control from snap one. It was over. They had a, they had a, they ran a big play on a jet sweep and scored a touchdown early in the game, and they just had control from them. And A&M just didn't look good until the end. Um when maybe Auburn was getting a little lazy. Yeah, Auburn. But they woke up again and they, they, they won. So A&M put up 17 points in the fourth quarter? Yeah, so. yeah they did. They, they made a run for it. I think at that point it was just kind of Auburn was up, you know, 28, whatever it was, three, I guess. Yeah. And they kind of let A&M come back, maybe just being a little lazy and looking forward to next week or looking forward to getting back to Alabama and partying. <laughs> um, but they, they woke up and, and they hung on. And they were fine. It didn't look like they were going to lose. A&M just kind of covered the gap there. Two things real quick. They're the number seven team in the country. I want to know how you feel about that. And also, I'm going to tell you one thing about those Auburn guys. Whenever they get off the bus, those are usually – they pass eye tests. Year in <laughs> yeah, or year yeah. out, you watch Auburn get off the bus like that's a football team. These guys, I guess they come from Alabama, Texas, wherever they come from. But every time you can bet your last dollar, that strength and conditioning program is going to be off the chain at Auburn. Yeah, I mean, I look, I've I loved watching Gus Malzahn since he was at Auburn. Yeah. Um, even when he was his running his offense when Gene Chizik was there, uh, I think a he's got a, just a great name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he wears the the visor uh, 
I, so I love Visor coaches, Spurriers, my guy. Love Hugh Freeze. Gotcha. Got I got a lot of respect for Gus Malzahn, just in weird ways. I don't really know why I like him. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and Auburn is Auburn's been a great team to watch. So they're undefeated right now. They're four and zero, and they've got two really, really, really good wins under their belt. You know, Oregon to start the year in AT and T Stadium, um, and now Texas A and M on the road. And it was loud and proud in, in College Station Saturday, but it didn't. It did not stop the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Bo Nix, twelve for twenty, hundred yards, touchdown. Um, not a lot of throwing, just good enough to win. That's all they need. They have the playmakers, good enough to win. Just don't make mistakes. Kalamon threw forty nine passes, what? a lot, three hundred thirty. But like I was saying, they were down the whole game. They had to throw. Good they point. Were, they were just getting smoked. Three hundred thirty five yards, two TDs. Uh, the other one, Wisconsin, I was really looking forward to Wisconsin-Michigan. Best game on at noon. I shout out to college football and all the channels this week, all the news networks, uh, for staggering the good games. We had a good game at noon. Yeah. We had a good game at 4, 3.30 with Texas A&M and Auburn. And then we had a good game late night with Georgia. And I'm glad they weren't just all, you know, at one time. Uh, it was awesome to see just good game after good game. After, I probably watched 14 hours of football yesterday. And which is just way too much, but <laughs> Wisconsin just beat the brakes off of Michigan. Not even close. Michigan scored two touchdowns late in the game, um, but until the halftime, Wisconsin's defense had not given up a point all year. Which Sheesh. is crazy. Yep. They they look good. I was like I was saying Friday, like how I just didn't trust Wisconsin. It made you Maybe trust them a little bit. Just luring me in for them to kind of break my heart later. This That's year how it always goes. Win. Yeah. Because that is Wisconsin football. They love to be good until they have to be good. And then they're sour. Yeah, they just kind of break your heart. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've always loved watching Wisconsin football. Camp Randall is an awesome play. I've I've seen it. Never been in for a game. Madison's a cool town. It's cool to watch football in there. Jim Harbaugh is better not lose a game. Yeah, they are. Michigan, I don't know how if you're Michigan you can't fire it. Yeah. It's, at this point, you know, I know he was – he is everything off the field, or he is everything you want your coach to be. He was a Michigan quarterback. He, he you know, grew up in near the area, and he wants to be there, and, and that's his school. Yeah. He is a Michigan man through and through, and now it's just not working out, it looks like. And it might be might be time to cut the cord there and just move on and, and count your losses because it's not looking great for Harbaugh right now. Which, I mean, it'll be kind of sad because it's a great story if Harbaugh wins. You know, it's like Steve Spurrier going back to Florida to coach. and But Harbaugh's not winning national championships like Steve Spurrier did. Yeah. So, it, like, it was, it's just that kind of perfect scenario for him to go back and coach there. But it's just not happening. And it's kind of sad to watch. But, you know, Michigan's going to have to wake up. And football is better when those school when Michigan and Ohio State are good. Yeah. I think. So Michigan's Michigan's good. They're just not to that. They're not to that Ohio State level, and they're not even close to the Wisconsin level right now. And then uh, Jonathan Taylor, who is considered one of the better running backs in the country, gotta had be a Heisman candidate. Twenty three rushes, two hundred three yards, eight point eight yards a carry for two touchdowns. Yeah, the the nearly nine yards a carry. He had nine point one at one point in yeah. the, the first half. Absurd, just crazy. <laughs> just nine. You get the ball every time he's getting you nine yards. That's that's crazy. Ten plays, he's down the field and he's got a touchdown. All right, we'll move on from that. Texas, last night I watched te- a little bit of Texas and, and Oklahoma State. Had that had that one off to the side of watching it. Um, it was a really good game. 
then Texas kind of pulled away uh, towards the end. So we're only doing Texas talk because my buddy asked me to do Texas talk. So shout out, Ben. This is for you. Uh, 21 points in the second quarter. Not too bad for Texas. We'll talk some Texas this year. Texas, they... They're trying to they're trying to get there, and I really thought they were going to lose last night at one point. And I was like, "Oh boy, it is, this is going to be bad if they lose." Texas uh, or Oklahoma State, excuse me, was the only team Tom Herman had not beaten in the Big Twelve up until last night. Um, I thought Gundy was going to pull it out. Texas just proved to be too much, and, and they're a good football team. They've got a matchup with Oklahoma coming up very soon. Yeah, that's on the twelfth of October. That. Is that yeah. game, and that will be in the, the Cotton Bowl, right? Yep, in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Actually, the Cotton Bowl, little geography fact for you here, is farther from Austin, Texas than it is from Norman, Oklahoma. Oh, okay. I think the University of Texas, their football team has to travel like an extra 60 miles or something, um, which is kind of weird. You just think about it being in Texas, but Texas is huge. Huge. Uh, love the Cotton Bowl. That'll be awesome. A game is just unreal every year. So, and it has been just even when Texas was struggling a few years ago, Charlie Strong beat Oklahoma. That was awesome. Yeah. Great game. It's great for college football when that, that rivalry is. Uh, yes. Yeah. And well. what do they call it now? They used to call it the Red River Shootout. Now they're calling it like the Red River Rivalry or something weird. Uh, it, <laughs> give me the shootout. I want to see I want to see a bunch of points. Sam Ellinger was really good, 20 for 28. Uh, 281 He's, yards, four TDs, and one pick. Talking about like how you were saying, who are you just saying that's a, definitely a, a, like you're just saying Jim Harbaugh is a Michigan guy. Sam Ellinger is definitely a Texas guy. Yeah, he is. Went to the same high school as both um, Drew Brees and Nick Foles. Yeah, uh, passed both of them in their passing records by I think like a thousand yards at, at that. I think Westlake maybe. Yeah, West something in, in Texas. I um, would love, I would love to go to Texas high school football game. If, if you nuts. see pictures and stuff about how how many people are sitting at these games and stuff, it's like yeah, I got to get out to one of those. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, and then we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but UCLA making a crazy comeback in Pullman last night to beat Washington State and Mike Leach. Um, I stayed up and watched almost all of this game. Yeah, and I'm really upset. I let myself go to bed <laughs> like five minutes ago in the game. I said, you know, I think Washington State's got it. Um, yeah, Washington State was controlling most of the game, uh, and then UCLA came just came back. Had a few turnovers in the fourth quarter. Got a few quick points. They were down, I think, three or four touchdowns, and they just made a quick comeback. And uh, like I said, I didn't get to watch the end of the game. But I woke up this morning, that was the first thing I saw, and I was like, oh, crazy. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to talk about was awesome game to watch. Chip Kelly, back in the back 12. We'll see how – UCLA surprised me. They played really well. They did? Yeah. I, I just didn't think him being, you know, that – ready yet i thought they were gonna be kind of subpar all year and i think they might go back to that yeah but they've proven they can compete you know chip kelly's gonna be able to say hey guys we can we can go out and do this we can beat the best teams in the pac-12 um yeah 67 to 63 points all over the place anthony gordon from uh washington state set a washington state washington state single game record for passing touchdowns he threw nine passing touchdowns last night 41 for 61 570 yards Nine touchdowns, two picks. I'm going to tell you right now, you never, as a quarterback, get off the bus pregame and think you're going to throw the ball 61 times. You definitely don't think you're going to throw for almost half a thousand yards in one game. And nine touchdowns, that nine is – I think for uh, most Georgia Tech quarterbacks, you know, the previous regime, whatever, uh, whatever their triple option offense, I'm pretty sure they didn't have that many touchdowns, completions their whole entire career at Georgia yeah, Tech. Yeah, probably. There were a few guys <laughs> who probably had less than nine touchdowns their whole career. And this guy gets it done in, in one night. day. 
Yeah, and watching Mike Leach football teams, you know they're going to throw the ball a bunch, and it's fun to watch. But I didn't think they were going to throw nine touchdowns last night. And, I mean, it was nuts. It was awesome. Great game. Love love watching Washington State in that air raid offense. UCLA just kind of proved to be too much, and they took advantage of some mistakes. Washington State made it the end of the game. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of it for the college football part. We, we're long show today. It's yeah. just, there was just so much to talk about at football. Football is just amazing yesterday. <laughs> um, today, kind of around the NFL, we had uh, Saquon Barkley just go out a few a few hours ago. We were recording this on Sunday night, so it is now, what, 7 o'clock? Saquon went out earlier. I have yet to see what he's been out with, but that's not good for the Giants if Saquon Barkley is going to be out for the year. But it, I don't think it really matters. The Giants aren't going to be that great. But uh, as of right now, it looks like they're going to lose to the Bucks. Yeah. So you'll know when you're listening to this tomorrow. But they've had a pretty good game. So Daniel Jones has done. They think it's going to be a, 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 a high ankle sprain. Okay. Now we're going to figure out how long he'll be out with that, especially I at the running back position. could be out for a little while. Yeah. So, uh, Daniel Jones is 18 right currently right now, has almost 300 yards, and he's got two TDs. So pretty good. Better than Eli. Got to be more fun than watching Eli. <laughs> um, early games today, Bills beat the Bengals on a great last drive from Josh Allen and the Bills. They marched down the field, scored a touchdown to go up 21-17. Bengals start marching the ball down the field, and Andy Dalton gets them to uh, right past midfield. Okay. Throws the ball, gets tipped by a linebacker, tip drill. Um, one of the DBs catches an interception for the Bills. Game's over. That was a great game. That was really fun. I thought the Bengals were going to. Going to come back and sneak that win in uh, right there. But great game. Great drive from Josh Allen to get him back ahead. Josh Allen's second year. Cowboys smoked the Dolphins. Not much to say there. Josh Rosen is out with injury. Everyone's injured in the NFL. I wonder, dude, this Josh Rosen thing. I really want to know, like, how much longer uh, his – I know hopefully he has a long career in the NFL. And because quarterbacks are so well needed, especially when they start getting hurt throughout the year. I mean, this has really been a terrible start to his career. Yeah. He goes from like bad situation to one can say almost a little bit worse. Worse. Yeah. Because they're tanking. So. Yeah. And, and so tonight we got the Rams and the Browns. Oh, I want to throw this in because we were talking about Auburn earlier. So the Patriots drafted Jared Stidham last year, quarterback from Auburn. Um, like six foot eight. Two years. Right. Yeah. He, he's, he's, um, Stidham, I, great name. And he was a good quarterback at Auburn. Uh, he wasn't Cam Newton, obviously. But uh, he, Belichick liked him. He goes to New England. Today he comes in and just proceeds to immediately throw it a pick six to the, <laughs> to the Jets. Um, the the Patriots gave up 14 points today, I think. That only points they've given up all year. But their offense are special teams gave up a touchdown because they muffed a punt. Jets covered it. And it was in the end zone. You see that thing and that the bit- offense threw a pick six. So the only. The only two touchdowns the Jets, uh, Patriots have given up all year have not been at the hands of the defense. Did you see that? how Bill Belichick gave that uh, reporter that look whenever yeah. she <laughs> <laughs> when she asked him? Oh, my God. People are going to hate that, man. Oh, uh, whenever yeah, what he did she, What did she say again? She was like, uh, what was the final straw? And oh, like, yeah, with Antonio got- Brown. Yeah, she <laughs> said, I would be remiss if I asked what was the final straw with the Antonio argument or Antonio Brown and Belichick said we're focused on uh, the Jets today. <laughs> Stared her down, 
and just walked away. That was it. People, great, great clip. People hate that man so much. I'm pretty love sure him. his. I absolutely love him. <laughs> See, I think I feel like the difference between him and Nick Saban is Nick Saban's wife keeps him in check. So like, even after he went after Maria yeah. Taylor, she's like, "Go apologize." I really well, don't. See, I mean, Belichick doesn't really tend to go after people. Yeah. He just, refuses to answer dumb questions which is just so much better he's just throwing a fit and it's awesome it is hilarious yeah i i love it um and then oh you want to talk about this and i want to talk about it would you so you went out what friday night yeah went out friday night to watch the gilbert gilbert high i want to say the indians versus the Drew blue devils Gilbert won. Where, where were they at? It was right here in Columbia, that Dreer. Right there, Memorial Stadium. Yep. Uh, Dreer, I'm trying to find this score. Anyway, Gilbert High School, I know they won the game. I'm trying to find this score. I'll talk about it for a little bit. That is probably one of the better all uh, overall teams I've seen play high school football. They end up winning that game, by the way, 56 to 10. They, yeah, it was, a, it was a good one. They have a quarterback. I don't think right now he's being very highly recruited. I'm trying to find his name right here. It took me forever. Jai Tallin. He's a left-handed um, triple threat. I mean, not triple threat, but obviously he can throw the ball run. Dual threat quarterback. He was really good. For As a matter of fact, I would say that he could have thrown for 400 yards, probably around 400 yards if the receivers weren't just dropping passes that you know when they hit them in the hands I, I freaking hate that more than anything especially when you have an accurate quarterback because it's like he's trying to give you all the best highlight films necessary and it's oh my it made me so upset but they also have a running back that was really good he reminded me a lot of Wayne Gallman uh-huh. as far as running the ball really high wore the number nine kind of tall guy but yeah that was a really either they're really good or Drew is absolutely horrible and we're gonna see, but I have, I'll definitely probably try to check out. I'm think I'm gonna try to get into chip watching at least one uh, high school game uh, a week. You know, on a Friday night, just going out and see who's playing. And yeah, there's some good teams around here, and uh, Gilbert, I'm pretty sure, has had a pretty good program for for a, a few years. I always hear about them on the radio Friday nights when yeah. I've got 107.5 on or whatever other sports channel I've got on, um, and they're talking local high school football. If you turn on the news here, I feel like every time I turn it on. Gilbert's having a great game. So uh, we got the Bears and Redskins, as you're listening to this, tonight, Monday night. Uh, Bears in D.C. for this game. Um, the last I saw was pretty funny. Bears kicker Eddie Pinheiro is out with a sore knee. Yeah. And Matt Bears head coach Matt Nagy said he doesn't believe he's going to be back for tonight's game. Um, but he could be. If the Bears lose a kicker, they finally get one. <laughs> if the Bears lose their kicker due to injury, and it looks like it's just going to be for this game, and they lose this game because of a missed field goal, I cannot imagine the meltdowns that are about <laughs> to happen in Chicago. Chicago is going to lose their mind. Yeah. So I I think the Bears will will win. They'll beat the Redskins probably no problem. The Redskins are 0-2, Bears 1-1. One one. Yeah. Um, with a tough loss for the Bears in there. And we'll see. I just think the Bears' defense is just too good for for Case Keenum. Yeah. And um, I I don't know. I, I just don't see the Redskins doing much all year. But it's going to be interesting to watch the Bears. I, I thought the Bears – I think the Bears would be good, but I thought they would be a lot better than what they are. And Mr. Biskey has not looked good so far. Yeah. I didn't really get it when the Bears drafted him, uh, considering some of the other – Ways they could have went, do what, Patrick or Mahomes they could have went to Patrick like Mahomes. eight, nine spots later. Yep. Even if you, I, I think watching Mitchell Trubisky one year at UNC run an offense very well, or you take Patrick Mahomes, who was just slinging the ball around against Big Twelve, 
everyone gives the Big 12 defense argument. I mean, let's give some credit to the Big 12 offenses. I think there's a few good defenses in the Big 12, just as good as other parts of the country. Yeah, um, like TCU, for example. Yeah, with, TCU uh, is proven to have a great defense. Uh, but, yeah, and there's the infamous matchup where Baker Mayfield and Pat Mahomes went up against each other, Texas Tech versus Oklahoma, and they both threw for 800 yards. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Mahomes went right over 800 and Baker was right under it. Yeah. Just absolutely crazy game. But, yeah, so it's kind of interesting that they chose to go with Trubisky in the draft. Um, but they're they're locked in now, I guess. So <laughs> good luck. Yeah, we're gonna see we're gonna see how the Bears do. I, I thought it was a weird move. They have enough playmakers on offense that they can just kind of flick it out and make it happen. So we'll see how that goes. Um, over, I guess to expect this week, next couple weeks, we got uh, playoff baseball coming up. We'll probably talk a good bit of that. Um, and I just haven't watched a lot of baseball lately. They just. It hasn't been very entertaining, but some of these, for me anyway, I'm, uh, I love watching American League Baseball, and those divisions have been kind of decided. Um, but the National League, the Braves just clinched the other night. The Yankees clinched the AL East. Uh, we'll see kind of what the, Bra- the Braves Braves fans, you're, you're going out in the first round. Don't get too excited. <laughs> clinch, I know you clinched the... The Annalise against all odds, and no one picked you before the year to win. Um, and but the Phillies underperformed all year. The Nationals also underperformed all year. The Braves are bouncing in the first round, is my prediction. They have a lot of good players on that team. There's a lot of players I'd like to see win. I just I don't I just refuse to believe in Atlanta sports teams. <laughs> they always seem to mess it up. Um, but yeah, we'll talk a lot of playoff baseball in the next in October, obviously, and. A lot of college football games coming up. Like we said, Kentucky's coming to Columbia. Night game. Uh, yep, night game. So we'll see how full Willie B gets for that and how much hype comes this week. We'll see. I'll be at Muschamp's press conference Tuesday, I'm pretty sure. We'll talk about that uh, on Friday's episode. Um, but until then, I guess we'll just be doing our thing, see what happens tomorrow with, with football and, and what's going on, and we will be back. Friday. Uh, This has been a production of Garnet Media, and we would also like to say a special thank you to Ben Sound for our music for the show. Um, Hit us up on Twitter, at the lead underscore block. Uh, I forgot to do that last show, by the way. I I think I threw it in somewhere in the beginning. But yeah, hit us up on Twitter, at the lead underscore block on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is at TylerWaltersCNR. Matthew Anderson's is at MattTheChosen.com one numeral one yes give us both a follow watch our shows or like watch our stuff on on twitter like our stuff retweet it uh give us a follow and hit us up with any questions you have any topics you want to talk about uh shoot us a dm um we'll have a uh, instagram coming real soon we'll probably get that started this week and um, we will also now be we haven't been on apple pods So if you're listening on Spotify and you want to move over to Apple, we should be on there this week. And I think that's all we got. And like Antonio Brown in the NFL, we are done with this episode. (laughs) Peace, see you Friday.